Hello and welcome to A Bit Above Podcast. I'm Audra. And I'm Hadassah. And we are two average women living oceans apart. Our show displays a reachable lifestyle where we work to be better versions of ourselves in our day-to-day life. We know that the constant strive for perfection can lead to anxieties and disappointment, so we make changes that enhance our lives without giving up the things we love. Join us each week as we chat about motherhood, positivity, feel-good stories, relationships, and everything in between. How's your week going, Audra? My week is awesome. We finally launched our first episode and our second episode for our podcast. I know. How exciting. It's wicked exciting. We waited so long and it took so much time to get it all prepped and ready. And now that it's out there, it's almost like a big sigh of relief. But here we are back at it again. How was your week, Hadassah? Well, we got our COVID test results back and we were all negative. Apparently you can just get sick and not have COVID. How did you do with your overall sickness? Was it like a cold, a sinus infection? Yeah, like, ooh. Something like that. We were checking off the boxes for you for COVID. <laughs> I think it's just like cold cough season. So it makes sense. I'm still coughing. But you feel better? I definitely feel much better. I am trying to get back into routine of being more active. Thankfully, it's in the past because ain't nobody got time for sick. (laughs) That's so true. It's nice to be out of quarantine, though. Like that was too much. 14 days in the house with just a family with no breaks. I have left the house one time since being out of quarantine and it lasted five minutes and I went <laughs> back home. I was I couldn't do it. I just was like, I cannot be out in public anymore. Oh, no. I don't know. I, I think like you just get used to being in the house. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do know what you mean. Well, I like the comforts of my own home, so I'm not really mad at it sometimes, but I know what you're saying, too. I'm worried that my daughter's going to have issues being out of the house because, you know, babies get overwhelmed meeting new people. I think that because she's being in the house all day and not meeting new people because of COVID, I think it's just going to be harder for her in the future. Oh, that is true. I guess I didn't really give that much thought because one, my kids are older, but also, I mean, you're right. The way that our kids adapt to other kids is being in an environment together. So if they're not together, we always had them in the past. And yeah, I guess that is going to be a little bit different. I mean, you'll definitely have a bond with her and her dad. I mean, that'll be awesome. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. What does she do with like family and friends? Probably doesn't see them that often. But how does she react when she does get to see someone? My in-laws is basically the only family she sees and she's fine because she's there quite often. But when we went to the doctor the last time, she started crying even before her vaccines. (laughs) And the nurse told us that because of COVID, babies are starting to get more uncomfortable meeting new people younger. So she's actually starting to cry when she sees when our friends come around. Oh, that's a bummer. We'll have to figure out how to get baby girl to associate all the Zoom faces. (laughs) With people in real life when she gets to see them. I mean, she's great on Zoom. Like with everybody, normally she's very confused. She sees the phone. She doesn't really know what's going on. But when she FaceTimes you, she giggles like crazy. I have no idea what your secret is. I think it's just the fact that she's heard my voice for so long since she was, what, like three months old that she's probably like, hmm, this one sounds familiar. Because <laughs> we talk like five hours a day. So she's probably yeah. like, oh, Audra. <laughs> exactly. Audra, you're going to be very proud of me. I finally watched Bridgerton. Yay. Well, I'll have to admit, I watched the first episode twice. First time around, I did not get it. I was like, what is this horrible show? <laughs> oh, no. 
I could not imagine why you like this. I was so bored. I had to like go back sometimes because I just didn't understand what was going on. And then in walks this glowy, tall, handsome man. <laughs> I think his name is Simon. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, and I was like, all right, I'm in. I'm hooked. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the eye catcher, isn't he? I don't care what this show's about. I'm in, I'm watching it. And Daphne is also yeah. like so beautiful. And at first I was like, uh, don't like her. She's too pretty. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Don't condone that kind of talk. <laughs> but did it cross my mind? Yeah, I'm human. It's okay. But I was like, no way she can be that pretty. It's fine. But then I watch her over time and I just see her like gazing into the distance and I'm like, wow, she's just so beautiful. I mean, she is. I mean, we got to give props to people who are beautiful because everybody's beautiful in their own way. So there's nothing wrong with saying that someone is beautiful because they all are. Her sister, Penelope on the show, she's also beautiful. I love her character in so many ways. Everything from the dress, the clothing. I love the era of dress. You mean those maternity looking dresses? <laughs> I'm like, can't you just bring the waist a little bit down? I know, I know. I believe it's right before or right after the Edwardian age where they had the corsets that were more tight fitting. But it's the fact that they're all empire waist. It looks all flowy. Like they're just all floating on clouds. It's interesting to see different fashion. That's for sure. I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying if it was up to me, I'd bring the waist a little bit down. I would too because, you know, that ain't going to fit on my figure because <laughs> I'm more like hourglass. <laughs> not that, but we don't want to accentuate the... Uh, accentuate. Whatever. Inse it's fine. No, we're doing something to the <laughs> waist section. I saw a picture. What happened to you recently? Are you talking about the thing I wrote in the Facebook group? Oh, yeah. Okay, so... Details. Come on. So I was going to the bathroom before I went to sleep. I stand up, I pull my pants up, and I'm walking towards the bedroom. I feel this like plastic thing kind of sticking into my lower back bottom area. And I'm like, what is this weird plastic thing? So I'm like feeling behind my back and my finger got stuck in this jelly-like liquid. It kind of felt like I stuck my fingers in a bucket of Vaseline, but like okay, liquid here. I don't here. even know, want to know that you know what that feels like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Continue. <laughs> that sounds therapeutic. But anyways, so I was just like, what in the hell is this? I take it out and I realized that when I had pulled my pants up when I was on the toilet, I guess the little soap thing that goes into the toilet. Do you know what I mean? That plastic thing that is hanging on the toilet. neutralizer? Yes. I guess okay. I guess it got stuck in my underwear when I was pulling my pants up. <laughs> I got blue liquid soap all over my body, all over the walls of the house. I come into my bedroom and my husband's looking at me like, who in the hell did I marry? <laughs> just turn into Smurfette. <laughs> I mean, he was just looking at me like, oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> I guess it's like one of those things that you wouldn't believe it happened until it happens. I didn't even know things like that could happen. Um, I didn't either, but there was a picture and I was like, what is happening? There's a blue on your hand, up your arm. And <laughs> are you all fixed now or are you still looking blue? I'm fine. The walls might need to be painted. That's for sure. I want to share this article that was sent to me by a friend. It's something that we've read a few times to each other as we deal with our day-to-day -day life. The article is called 
Self-care is often a very unbeautiful thing. And it's written by Brianna Wiest. Self-care is often a very unbeautiful thing. It is making a spreadsheet of your debt and enforcing a morning routine and cooking yourself healthy meals and no longer running from your problems and calling the distraction a solution. It is often doing the ugliest thing that you have to do, like sweat through another workout or tell a toxic friend you don't want to see them anymore or get a second job so you can have a savings account or figure out a way to accept yourself so that you're not constantly exhausted from trying to be everything all the time and then needing to take deliberate mandated breaks from living to do basic things like drop some oil into a bath and read Marie Claire and turn your phone off for the day. A world in which self-care has to be such a trendy topic is a world that is sick. Self-care should not be something we resort to because we are so absolutely exhausted that we need some reprieve from our own relentless internal pressure. True self-care is not salt baths and chocolate cake. It is making the choice to build a life that you don't need to regularly escape from. And that often takes doing the things you least want to do. It often means you're looking for failures and disappointments square in the eye and re-strategizing. It is not satiating your immediate desires. It is letting go. It is choosing new. It is disappointing some people. It is making sacrifices for others. It is living a way that other people won't. So maybe you can live in a way that other people can't. It is letting yourself be normal, regular, unexceptional. It is sometimes having a dirty kitchen and deciding your ultimate goal in life isn't going to be having abs and keeping up with your fake friends. It is deciding how much of your anxiety comes from not actualizing your latent potential and how much comes from the way you were being trained to think before you even knew what was happening. If you find yourself having to regularly indulge in consumer self-care, it's because you are disconnected from actual self-care, which has very little to do with treating yourself and a whole lot to do with parenting yourself and making choices for your long-term wellness. It is no longer using your hectic and unreasonable life as justification for self-sabotage in the form of liquor and procrastination. It is learning how to stop trying to quote-unquote fix yourself and start trying to take care of yourself and maybe finding that taking care lovingly attends to a lot of the problems you were trying to fix in the first place. It means being the hero of your life, not the victim. It means rewiring what you have until your everyday life isn't something you need therapy to recover from. It is no longer choosing a life that looks good over a life that feels good. It is giving the hell up on some goals so that you care about others. It is being honest, even if that means you aren't universally liked. It is meeting your own needs so you aren't anxious and dependent on other people. It is becoming the person you know you want and are meant to be. Someone who knows that salt baths and chocolate cake are ways to enjoy life, not escape from it. Brianna Wiest. I love that concept. I know for me, I've spent so much money on like materialistic consumer self-care. We literally have the term retail therapy when you're having that really off bad day. You just need a change in pace and you're like, retail therapy will 
help me. At least that's what we tell ourselves. You know, I always loved that word. Now I'm thinking, damn, maybe you could just go to regular therapy. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely think it would probably be less expensive. One therapy or a couple therapy sessions and a new coach bag. I worked at the mall, right? For three and a half years. There were sales every single day. I had retail therapy all around me. I spent so much money on things that when I came to Israel, like when I moved here, I had to throw away all these stuff that I never even used or I used, but I could have used the money for something else. I think we realize how much we have when we do things like move. And then we realize we have way too much stuff. I know. And stuff that we don't even need. One person might have one crock pot. I have three. (laughs) I don't know why, but they're in different sizes. Maybe that's why. I have no idea. There's no justification. I only cook with one crock pot. I actually have four. I was actually scaling it back because my big buffet one is a buffet crock pot. No. (laughs) I was being kind in my own (laughs) justifying my need for four. Let's be honest in this podcast. (laughs) Let's not try to soften this. How many Bath and Body Works stuff do you have? You just hit my sore spot. If you had to guess, tell me how many you had. Deep breath. I have two entire shelves, (laughs) which probably equate to about 30, maybe 35, 30, 40 41. products. 41 products. products. We're talking, what? you know, if you get the lotion, you got to get the shower gel. You got to get the body spray. They even oh. have matching hand sanitizers. Coordinating. When I was in America, I had a lot too. So working in the mall, you just pass it every single day. It was right in front of my face. Then coming here, I came with five suitcases. I was only supposed to be here for five months. I stayed at a hostel for 10 days. Getting to know these people who were traveling the world for like a year with one backpack, I actually learned a little bit from that, you know? Wait, did you think when you packed your five suitcases that you were really downsizing? But I was. I had a lot of things. Where did they all come from? I do own a lot of Bath and Body Works. No, we're not paid to promote them. Though, shout out if you do hear us, Bath and Body Works, I still love oh, you. Yeah. Um, uh, Bath and Body Works, I want the sweet piece she wants. Which one do you want? <laughs> oh, Waikiki, Beach Coconut, all the way. <laughs> Okay, wait, wait. We're supposed to talk about how materialistic stuff isn't good, not... <laughs> oh, yeah. Not our favorite sense. Dang it. We, um, we got excited. We're like, oh, let's go back and buy some more self-care, yo. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Well, this is what I was going to say. Ah, you brought me back to my point. I get a lot for gifts. I guess I'm justifying my collection. Even if I'm not personally buying them, they are on my gift list so uh, that other people can buy them for me. So I still have them. But I guess it's almost like a security blanket, maybe. Like if I have them, I'm happy. Well, if you listen to the article well enough, and if not, just go back and and hear it again. It says that you are allowed to do these things, but it shouldn't be what's solving your issues. You should just solve the issues and then you won't need to have a life where you need to run away by buying unnecessary things. But if you want those things as added bonus, hell yeah. If you are saying that it's what's defining your happiness, <laughs> that's when the problem gets to be a little problematic. I definitely agree. I definitely think the self-care article definitely resonates in a lot of ways to have a different perspective. And maybe we don't need 30 or so different sense of 
one thing, but we could get one set and then use it up and then go get another set. I don't need to like hoard a whole collection of stuff. If you got all that money, no one's saying you can't go ahead and buy like hundreds of bottles, you know, but self-care, that's not what self-care is. That's life enhancers. That can't be what defines the happiness. So Hadassah, you had mentioned that when you're in the mall that you do pass Bath and Body Works. But what I want to know is what stores did you work in at the mall? I can't say everything (laughs) because I don't want to get myself into any trouble. But when I was 18, I moved to Texas, right? And I had an interview. My first interview was my first job and it was at Spencer's, you know, like Spencer Gifts. (laughs) I do. It's like Hot Topic, but a little bit more dirtier. dirtier. Yeah, (laughs) I was this like 18 year old girl coming out from like a very religious community, hopping on into the mall. All of a sudden it was like loud rock, not rock, but heavy metal. It was like metal music, a few T-shirts and adult toys. And it was all of that. I had some really awesome coworkers. Then I got a job working at this Texas souvenir shop. I listened to country music all day. My manager was the best. My coworkers rocked. I worked there for like a year and a half. I met people from all over the world, basically stood behind a counter and like watched Netflix most of the time. But then I started working at a store called Bell. I think it's regional. It's like if Macy's had a baby and the baby was like Southern. A Southern Macy's baby. Basically, I worked in like the women's department. I sold like, do you remember the brand NYX um, makeup? Yes. So I had my own little NYX counter. That was really fun. And then I started working at Nordstrom, which was a whole different experience because you're making commission. So in all these different places, you must have had quite the interactions with customers. Have you ever worked retail? Oh, yes, I have. I feel like it's almost a rite of passage. Either you go into retail when you're young or you work in the food industry. Am I I not wrong, people? Like, raise your hands. I don't care where you're listening to us from. You have worked retail or you have worked in a food industry. Mm -hmm. And it won't be all of you. It will probably be a good handful, a good chunk of you. (laughs) So you know what I mean when I say there were some horror stories. Oh, for sure. I have a few of my own. I can't even get them out of my head. This one is for Belk, okay? So they have this amazing return policy. You can return basically anything with or without tags for like 180 days. Everybody's so into the customers, you know, (laughs) all the companies. They're so into like making satisfying these like really annoying customers. No offense. Not all of you. (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs) That there was this lady that walked in and... If you know the brand Free People, Free People is kind of expensive. She came in with this sweater that was legit ripped in half. There were two parts. They, they didn't even attach to each other. I was like, oh, hell no, I cannot return that, you know? And she was like, oh, well, I have to. There's a, you know, she's showing me the policies. You have to let me return this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yo, it's ripped in half. It smells like cigarette and perfume. Like, there's no way that this can be returned. This lady started crying. <laughs> And in walks our manager, not manager, like supervisor. He was like, oh, got to make this lady happy. Here you go, ma'am. Yep. Sweatshirt was returned. I was so annoyed because these people know that if they cry, then they can get whatever they want. She got over 
$100 back from a ripped in half item. I did do customer service at a store called Ames. I don't think they're in business any longer. Every store has a slogan, but in the universal minds of customers, their slogan is the customer is always right. And I too had a customer that came to the customer service and I don't even know what she was doing. I don't know if it was a return, if she was trying to get a sale price. I don't remember the details, but I do remember her saying, but the customer's always right. And I shot back just as quick. The slogan is bargains by the bag full. (laughs) And she just walked away. (laughs) And I felt pretty content because that was our slogan. Bargains by the bag full. It does not say customers are always right. Oh, I mean, the customers are not always right. The sales lady, whatever, is not always right either. That's true. I worked at a kitchen store. It was a day where you have to shut the whole store down and you have to count inventory. So I'm thinking pots, pans, some pot holders, some aprons. I had to count individually wrapped toothpicks in this huge container where I felt like there were millions of them. I think it equated to a couple thousand, but it really felt like millions and individually count, individually packaged toothpicks. We sat there what seemed like for hours counting these mundane little pieces inside of a huge kitchen store. And I'm thinking, why couldn't I get the section with the pots and pans? (laughs) I loved inventory. Loved it. Can't get enough of inventory. You did not work at a kitchen store. Yes, but I worked in companies with annoying things too. I did lanyards, you know, like those necklace thingies. Oh, yeah. I did postcards. I also did toothpicks actually so randomly because I believe it was the Texas store had like flavored toothpicks. I could be wrong, but definitely did um, little mini bottles of lubricant, basically all kinds of products. It is the most relaxing thing on the planet. I never found inventory relaxing. It's just the task of having to count everything and making sure other people are counting. And then you have to go back through everything Mm -hmm. and recount somebody else's audit. Audit. Yes. And there was like these little machines that we had, like little scanners. Oh, I did. It's all bringing me back. Did you have like some random guy or come in and like teach you guys how to use it and blah, blah, blah? Uh, No, we had the manager was shown how to use it. And Uh. I think it took the first night of of the kitchen place. I think it took them like a hot minute to figure out how to use the machine because either something happened to it, something happened and it took a little bit to get started. I do remember that. And then I remember also ordering pizza at around midnight or at least it got delivered around then because we were there until like four in the morning that rocks that's so awesome i love that yeah look it's so great when you have to get paid to talk to people to deal with humans it is so nice to be paid once in a while to put headphones in your ears and to count beep 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 the beeping is relaxing everything's relaxing everybody's just relaxed and then if you're in the same section as like one of the cooler co-workers because you know there's some co-workers you want to be on shift with and some you don't my retail experience, I learned very quickly that if I worked in the back or if I worked in one of them was called the cash office, but basically if I started doing the accounting side of things, I didn't have to work with people so much directly. I think that helped for what I later learned in life was deemed social anxiety. It's so hard to be in sales or retail and have social anxiety. Well, you mentioned that you have social anxiety. So when did you find out? Honestly, not until just a few years ago. I didn't even realize that I had it. 
However, I knew that something was definitely different. And I wondered if I was the only one that felt the way that I did. I did this little class at a place that I worked. They said, if you are this type of person, stand on this side of the room. And the question was, there's a large gathering. Are you likely to be the center of attention? Stand back in the corner, stand over to the side and chit chat, hang out with your friends. I said I would stand back in the corner and be quiet. My coworkers were actually shocked because my persona at work was, you know, I'm happy-go-lucky, which I am, talkative in a way of normal chit chat, like, hi, how are you? How's your day? Things like that. They didn't know that really, if I'm in a group of people, especially a large group, I'd rather either go hang out with a small group or I am perfectly content with standing there by myself. When my doctor pointed it out to me that I had anxiety in general and that I had social anxiety, I reflected back at the different things that happened. I realized, yes, I definitely have had anxiety since as far back as I can remember. If I go to a place where I don't know anybody and it's a large group, I have all these heightened emotions. My heart is fluttering. I feel lightheaded, sick to my stomach. I just want to get out of there. I'm most likely to sit in the front because everybody avoids that front row or sit off to the side and not have to converse with other people. And they might think, gosh, she's so rude or she's a snob or whatever word they might want to use. I'm perfectly content with not communicating with anyone. But my persona in a work environment with others is to be communicative and to talk to everybody. But inside, I'm like, I'd rather just work in a small space. I definitely chose careers where I had to be in the limelight. And then I definitely have chosen paths where, nope, I'd rather be behind the scenes. Nobody really has to communicate with me. I get that. I get the whole having a friendly personality and appearing like you're very outgoing, but inside not being that way. When I went to Disney and we went to one of the theme parks, I freaked out because we all had to walk through what was a really large opening to get into the theme park, but it felt super closed in in my mind. And I started to panic because I was like, there's too many people. But it took like a hot minute to get me to walk through there. And I was like, I'm definitely having an issue here. Being that I found out when I was like 19 and you just found out a few years ago, I'm sure that there's someone listening that doesn't know what it is. And I know a lot of people do, but I wanted to just give a short explanation on what social anxiety is. Chances are, you know what we're talking about and you know what we've gone through because so do you. This will help clear up for the people who don't experience this or don't know what the name is on something that they do experience. Thank you, WebMD. <laughs> Social anxiety can happen when you're talking to strangers, speaking in public, dating, trying to maintain eye contact, ugh, ugh. entering rooms, using public restrooms, ugh, yes, going to parties, eating in front of other people, going to school or work, or starting conversations. That can vary by person to person, of course. The fears can also be different per person. People who experience social anxiety might feel that they're being judged by others or the fear of being embarrassed or humiliated, especially if you can't hide the embarrassment. So if you're blushing or sweating, being exposed that you are embarrassed is worse than actually feeling embarrassed. I can feel you there. Like I feel like my blood pumps heavily when I'm anxious and I feel like I wear it on the outside of my skin. Also, if you like the fear of accidentally offending someone, 
Did I say accidentally weird? Nope, that's Accidentally. Right. Okay. And being the center of attention, what does social anxiety feel like? And I'm sure you can relate to this, Audra, and I know I can as well. Rapid heartbeat, muscle tension, dizziness, and lightheadedness, stomach trouble, and diarrhea. <laughs> Let me say that again without laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say the word diarrhea without laughing. I see. Stomach ache and diarrhea, inability to catch your breath, or an out-of-body sensation. Ooh, definitely got the out-of-body sensation. That has happened on more than one occasion. And do you know... I think you touched on this by the accidentally offending someone. If I'm having a moment and it's not funny, but it's funny because I can look back at it. I'll come out with some of the weirdest things that come out of my mouth. And I'm like, did I just say that? Because you're just talking to like get through it and you don't even realize what you're saying. And it's just because you're super anxious. And I'd rather be like, why don't I just stay quiet and walk away? Yes, this is why I like staying at home. I can say a lot of my social anxiety has been managed. But again, when I'm going out and it's an uncomfortable situation, I can act in some of these ways. So the question is, what causes social anxiety, right? So there isn't one exact cause for social anxiety. Genetics can have something to do with it. So basically, if someone in your family has it, you would be more at risk for it. It could also be linked to the history of abuse or bullying, or if you were shy as a child. Also, children with overbearing or controlling parents that's also a factor. There are other reasons. And like I said, I encourage you to check the link in the show notes to see more on the WebMD article. If any of these might feel similar to you, while we have just learned about ours a few years ago, that's something that is experienced by many. Do you know a really weird example of social anxiety in my life was when I was a kid, they would go around the class and you they would call your name and you'd have to say here. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I do. Oh, like, I couldn't back. breathe until I had to say here. Because you, okay, so did you, I would do the same thing. I'd be like panicking the whole time until my name was called. I'm like, did I hear my name? Did she already call my name? Right. Is my name coming up? When is my name going to be called? Yes. Oh my God. And well, see, your last name was C. Mine was A. So usually I was pretty quick, but sometimes they went by the order of the chairs and not the alphabet. <laughs> exactly. Ooh, or if we they had like, like change it up. Mm-hmm. Or if we had carnivals or different events. See, we went to a different kind of school than regular public school. So we'd have like these different assemblies, they called it. And just yep. the thought of everybody just dancing. Oh, God. <laughs> or like having to go up to the counter, like the table and get a snack and like a drink. That was the worst experience ever. I just couldn't do it. I would avoid it. I probably starved a lot as a young child because I would just yes. avoid those situations. Or yeah, or being at someone else's house and they offer you food and you just automatically say no. <laughs> Even if you're your stomach's growling louder than you saying no. <laughs> oh, and then you spend the rest of the time worrying whether or not your stomach is growling <laughs> loud. <laughs> oh, it brings me back. I was at the doctor's office. I had a little accident on <laughs> the bed, like the doctor bed. When I stood up, I, oh, you know, I'm thinking now I probably had a UTI. <laughs> and I stood up and there was like a circle of like urine on the bed. And I left the room all embarrassed, right? Obviously, social anxiety. I was mortified. I couldn't breathe, right? This girl from school, she was next. Her appointment was next. So they called her in. And for years, I couldn't breathe thinking of that story about how she might have seen me and then saw the, the urine on the bed. And I literally for years 
for years. I couldn't handle it. One thing that social anxiety does is that you end up overthinking one situation for a really unhealthy amount of time. Absolutely. So number one, the doctor definitely should be removing that paper thing that they put across. So have it in your mind that she probably never saw a thing, but that you did have that thought process. And that's what's scary that those thought processes go through our head in other people. Maybe it doesn't even occur to them to mind that that thought process won't even happen for them, but it does for people with social anxiety. Once I knew kind of what was going on with me, so I was working at the mall, right? I was leaving my house. My heart would be beating fast while I walked to work. I would get into the mall and I couldn't breathe of the fact that all these people knew who I was because I worked in the same mall for three years. The security guards, like just passing people, like, oh, I just, I mean, until I was standing behind the counter at my job, I could not breathe. It got so bad. I wouldn't take out my garbage for days because I couldn't imagine going from the house to the garbage. It was such torture. Like I was living such a tortured life. I went to the doctor and I found out a diagnosis that would be forever in my life. In order to maintain this, you have to have like a healthier lifestyle. So you have to eat well, you have to be physically active, things like that. So I started losing weight, not even to lose weight, but just to manage whatever diagnosis I had. It was just like night and day. One day I was feeling so crazy, I couldn't even breathe. And then the next minute, this big, huge thing happened in my life that forced me basically to start taking care of myself, that all of a sudden my life went from being so socially anxious to taking care of myself. That is the answer really to social anxiety is to start realizing first thing, you're not the center of the world. You are a tiny part of a huge world. And when you walk through that mall to get to work, nobody's looking at you. They might glance your direction, but they're so busy thinking about themselves and how they're appearing and how people are thinking about them that they're not even focused on you. And this kind of ties back into self-care to actually care for myself and not just worrying all the time that it actually kind of managed my social anxiety. I grew up with the mindset of mind over matter. So even when I feel the absolute crummiest, I tell myself, I feel fine. I'm going to be okay. Sometimes I have to learn that, nope, you should really go have this checked out or take a medication for this. We're raised in a way that one, people don't like to talk about what the problems that they have. So they don't have these honest discussions, especially about like social anxiety. Everyone like keeps that to themselves. Nobody discusses it and they just go around thinking, why is everybody judging me or whatever they're thoughts are. We're here to say that social anxiety does exist. Anyone can have it, but it's not going to define you. You can manage it. You can make small changes in your life that change the perception. One thing that has helped me in this tip I got from my oldest sister was mindfulness. And I'm like, huh, what is that? Right. Googled it right away. And it's just about being mindful of your presence, because when you have social anxiety, you're a lot of the time in your head and you cannot be having a conversation with someone and, but be more in your head than present. I think that's also a really good step to manage social anxiety. And we also can talk about that like later on in different episodes,
Before we go, let's talk about our goals for the week. Each week, we will plan one physical goal and one internal goal, which we will check back in on next Wednesday on the next episode. My physical goal this week is to drink three liters of water each day. I used to drink this much water when I was pregnant to keep myself feeling good. But then after I had the baby and I was recovering from a C-section and just dealing with a newborn, it was kind of hard to keep up with my water intake. My goal for this week is to get into the habit again of drinking three liters of water each day. My physical goal for the week will be to increase the exercise level. So each week you try to do a little bit more because we are staying home more to get healthier, we need to exercise more. So it's just going to be for me incorporating even more exercise than I did the week before. My internal goal this week is my gratitude. So I received a gratitude journal from the Shop Forward, which if you don't know who they are, the Shop Forward is a brand associated with the Bobby Bone Show. The brand was founded in 2014 by Mary Barnes and all the money they receive goes to charity. So they have different causes, you know, depending on the times. And they have since raised over four and a half million dollars. As I said, I received a gift, which was their four things gratitude journal. So my goal is to start each day by expressing the four things I'm grateful for. I already did it for a few days and then I slacked a bit because this week has been really rough. Sometimes I feel that I lack on seeing the what I'm grateful for and I tend to notice more of the things that I'm missing. I too have an internal goal of the similar nature, the gratitude. Gratitude can be helpful in so many ways and people can question, well, what do I have to be grateful for? The fact that you can wake up every morning is something to be grateful for because I too have a gratitude journal from the shop forward, which we love. And it's so cute. You really got to check them out. They have two different types. One's tie dye and one's like a pink ombre. I have a pink ombre. What does yours look like, Hadassah? Yeah, mine's also pink. Yeah, love it. So in being grateful is to actually feel the gratefulness that I have. It's one thing to say that you're grateful for something and it's another to actually feel grateful. Oh yeah, and the first step is just acknowledging what they are. So if you're writing it down, that's the first step. Sometimes it's harder to feel it if you're not actively thinking about it. And right now I could definitely be grateful for a piece of chocolate cake in maybe some Bath and Body Works lotion. (laughs) So we appreciate you listening and we hope you give us some feedback on social anxiety and the other topics we've discussed in this week's episode. I love the topics we talked about today because they're so relevant to me and you. You know, it was fun talking about our retail horror stories. I'm sure that that will come up again (laughs) in the future because there's so many. If you are listening now and you just found our podcast, then go ahead and subscribe. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on social media at a bit above pod. You can also send us an email at a bit above pod at gmail.com. So basically it's all the same, a bit above pod. We look forward to hearing from you and for you to share our podcast to your friends. Look out for our next episode coming out on Friday. This is just going to be the two of us just chatting, hanging out, getting on Zoom, having a conversation. So be sure to look out for that.